On this episode, we talk about what it's like to go from working for corporate to working for yourself, YouTube's ins and outs, and we get a little nostalgic about some old games. Get ready. For a live and uncut broadcast, all about the post 2.0 web, where you are a part of the conversation. You're listening to the Beyond Tweeting Podcast. And now, here's your host, David V. Kimball. Hello and welcome, social media practitioners. This is David with special guest, Brad Burke, here to talk about best practices in the post 2.0 web. Now, we are currently live on Blab, and that's it for right now. Usually, we have seven other ones we do around this time but for now we're, we're sticking minimal because the other stuff's going on in my life right now and uh and so one is going to be one this week and so i'm gonna go over some brief feedback before i introduce our special guest and that is from jane the Hazelwood from soundcloud and it's a direct message your tracks are incredible have you tried increasing some downloads these help to increase your audience i am certain you can find it somewhere for cheap here's a promo i use bit.ly slash 1jargb0. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm really tempted to click that link just to see where it goes. So that's some uh, feedback. (laughs) And this is a joke, obviously. I get this kind of feedback all the time, as do um, lots of other content producers out there. And so I encourage you not to click the bit.ly link. If you have ever done that, um, I I feel sorry for you. Anyway, I'd like to introduce our guest today uh, on the show, uh, Brad, thank you so much for being here. You have an awesome YouTube channel. I'm excited to talk uh, YouTube and career life choices with you. How, how, are you. how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Pretty good. So why don't you tell everyone that's listening a little bit about yourself and like what you've been doing lately? Um, so I am actually, so I have a background in, in video production and animation, um, but I am an avid gamer. So, you know, I, I went um, after graduating college, I, I kind of went into the, uh, you know, the corporate scene did a lot of uh, animated videos and other kind of kinds of things and you know, video production projects. Um, but really what I found out and you know, the, the, the jobs that I had, they're, they're fine. They're absolutely fine. But I think for myself, what I found out was that I need to be doing something else. I need to be doing not so much uh, like in terms of the method, but like the topic. So I, uh, I, I really, you know, I was always passionate about like gaming and very, you know, nerdy things. I've always been a nerd at heart. Um, and so I, you know, I decided like to stop ignoring these feelings I've been having for a long time. I've always wanted to do YouTube, um, you know, way back when uh, me and my friends, we started a YouTube channel back in like 2006 or 2007 that died. Then uh, we started another one um, when I was, you know, midway through college because now I had some video production experience that died because I was the only one who could really commit to it. Um, and then, you know, I, then I got a job and then, you know, as I would sit at my job, I would, I would see like people, <laughs> um, like uploading videos on YouTube and like doing really cool stuff. And I always be like, just sitting there like, man, I wish I was doing that. I wish I wasn't in the middle of like all these cubicles making videos. Um, which is fine. I mean, it's a, it's a, like I said, I worked for some great companies, but, uh, and then I, I just, after, you know, two years after that point, because I started the channel, um, but then I couldn't update the content. I got about three videos out. And then, uh, yeah, I just, it was about a year and a half break. 
but I, I decided that like I needed to just go for it. So I left, um, you know, I left my job, um, to take on the world of like, you know, freelance, uh, just self-employment, but also, you know, the main focus of all of this is, is YouTube and some other things. Like I also, I, I want to write a book and things like that. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of a long winded response, but that's kind of encompasses, you know, from where I started yeah. to where I am today. And your background, right. And, and what's funny is this podcast would not be here if I didn't write a book first. I actually wrote a book about Twitter. And then from there, I'm like, I should talk about it because talking is easier mm-hmm. than writing. Right. So, right. so that's why I went from there, but that's cool. So what, what, you mentioned that you had a YouTube channel back, like basically when it started in 06. Uh, um, so what, like, what was the moment or what was the event that occurred that you're like, video making is my thing? Um, it was, that happened back in high school. Uh, we, you know, occasionally in high school, um, in certain classes like English class and things and things like that, um, you would have, you would have a, a paper that you would write or you would read a book or something and then you could turn your essay or whatever it is, but you could also do extra things. So like one of them was like, you know, produce a, produce a video or, or, you know, some kind of, you know, or draw a picture or something to, you would get bonus points for it. So me and my friends just, we didn't know what we were doing, but we just grab a video camera and do really stupid stuff. Um, and that's where it started. It all started because that was our first audience. Our first audience was our, our, you know, our classmates. And I came from a very small school graduating class of like, I think like 70, um, which I think is small. I don't know. I've heard, oh, yeah. I've heard rumors of people having much larger classes than that. Um, but to me, it's like it blows my mind thinking that. But yeah, just the first audience was my my classmates. And that's when we realized, like, we're really, really bad at this. But we really, really like doing it. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, you know, so we did, a couple cl- we did a couple class projects. That turned to, like, let's make some funny YouTube stuff that isn't specific to, uh, you know, any book or anything. Um, that's when YouTube was first coming out, um, was when I was just in high school. Um, you know, I'm from the, I was born in the nineties. Um, so I'm still a young buck, but, uh, there's, a there was so much opportunity just to do like anything and just put online and see what people think. Um, so we did like fake music videos and we did fake news shows and stuff like that. Really, really bad, <laughs> but it was so much fun. It was just like, <laughs> hanging out with my friends would be like, Hey, let's all go over to my friend's house on a Friday night. And let's see if we can make a, you know, a video by Saturday morning. Very nice. I love that. And so I love the whole realization you had like, Oh, we're not very good at this, but it's sure a lot of fun to yeah. do. And that's where you get to like, you know, dedicate your time and then make it your mission to get good at it. And that gives you like a purpose. And that's always really fun. Cause I, I just went. I graduated um, a university about last December or so, mm-hmm. and I realized with a more of a liberal arts sort of like degree, or if you're pursuing that, like what's so fun about it is the amount of ambiguity there is. And as a person, you can either say, "Well, I'm not very motivated. I don't really love anything in particular, so I don't really know what to do," or you say, "I can jump at this opportunity. Like I'm going to get a grade out of this, or I'm going to get a-, a paycheck out of this, or whatever. Time to do what I want and 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 have some fun with it." Uh, and so I think that's a really great aspect of video mar- video in particular is you do have so much freedom to do it, to do the kind of things that you want. Oh yeah. But, but now you totally mentioned, agree. right? Like after high school or so you mentioned that you worked at a few other companies doing video. What sort of video was it? What was it like corporate video? Was oh, it yeah. advertising? It was, it was corporate. I mean, general like advertising stuff. Um, the first place I started at was an ad agency. Um, I, I joke about it, but like I pretty much did, uh, like manufacturing videos for like, I swear like half a year straight. 
Um, so I would go into like manufacturing plants and be strapped to like a vest and going above like molten, like metal and all this stuff. It was really cool, but it was also like, oh my gosh, like this is kind of dangerous. That went um, really intense, really fast. From oh, high yeah. school videos to molten metal. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. But it's so cool. Cause like, I mean, that was like my first, that's what I first, I think appreciated the thing about video was like, I, that's what I learned there was, you know, I might not do this for a living. I might not do, you know, manufacturing or anything like that, but like you always get to step into someone else's shoes for the day when you're doing video, like you get to learn about their life and like you, the people you meet, it's like you meet them on, on the same level as, as they're on. And they're like really your, your guide. Um, so even though like the, the context was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, giant metal arms coming and grabbing and like crushing things. And like, you know, watching like, me- like liquid metal being poured into shapes. And then I remember I did a, like a video specifically, it was like on steering columns, like how, you know, the, the steering columns for cars is manufactured. And I mean, it's a huge process. And it was literally like half the size of this plant just for producing these columns that went to cars. But uh, yeah, like starting off, I just, I did all these manufacturing videos. I did some, um, some, some other ones here and there. Um, it was kind of, I uh, kind of all over the place. I also did, uh, I helped out with a, uh, I forget what it's called actually. I guess it's a league. It's called the Electrical League. It's um, they basically are a, a nonprofit. Um, at least I think they're a nonprofit. Um, who basically is a hub for everything in the manufacturing and electrical space from where I live. Um, that really got me immersed in a lot of different things, from email email marketing to actually event planning, videos, um, you know, graphic design, web design. Like that's. But oh, also, okay. I went I went to school for that stuff too. Like I, it's very. Uh-huh. You know, I cast a big net, so I, th- I would say my, my video and, and web is where my strengths lie, and that's where I started doing, but I think since then, after doing these videos and things like that, I've branched out over, you know, now I cast a really big net, so I do a ton of different things now. Cool. And that's your freelance part. So, But obviously, you started at a few places like that, but now you do freelance, so how, how did you do networking? Like, how did you, how do you have basically clients? Oh, I, I uh, yeah, I actually, I mean... I would say it's kind of luck based. Um, and I, I hate saying that because, like, you know, everyone can say, like, oh, it's luck based. But uh, I got to meet a lot. So I worked at a software company called uh, Highland Software. I was their in house videographer. Um, and the, the cool part about that job was I got to work with everyone in the company on a one on one basis. Um, you know, from people in the quality assurance department to the actual developers to the, you know, the CEO, CTO, CFO, like all these different people, I was their personal outlet. So if, if any of the C-levels or anyone higher up in the company wanted to, you know, release videos to customers, like I got to meet with them one-on-one and that gave me a ton of connections. Um, and eventually, you know, some people, they hop around, they go to different businesses so that someone who works at Highland can hop to a different business and, you know, they remember the work that I did for them. Um, and then they usually, I mean, this happens decently often. I get pinged for that specific, uh, you know, person saying, Hey, I know you did, you know, we worked together on this project at Highland. I really liked it. Um, I need help with this. I need help with web design. I'm, I'm launching a new brand or like all these different things. Um, so it actually, uh, my, you know, the jobs that I held were the ones that actually got my name out there and in terms of like networking and things like that. Wow. And that's, well, like, why do you think that is like, do you, are really good videographers just hard to come by? So when you have a good one, it's like you want to hold on to them. Like, why do you think that works so well? Um, I don't think it actually. I mean, the uh, the skill doesn't matter. 
um, it's the person. Like I think mm. what is if you're a reliable person and you can work very well with someone, whether I was a web designer or if I just did email, like I think it would have been the same outcome. Um, when you meet people who you truly can interact with well and you guys, you know, get to the, you know, work together towards the goal faster, I think it's a no brainer when they, they want to pull you on for a new project. Plus, if you're a new company starting off um, and you're just trying to get, you know, bids on things and like, so if you need videos or things like that, you'd rather probably go with someone that you know and have worked with before and you can, you know what you're going to get out of it than try to go with someone new, regardless if they have awesome work. Um, it's more of a gamble. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, if I, if I made something awesome for them before, um, they're probably going to, you know, come back to me for more work. And that's typically how it works. I mean, I've, I've had a client, um, it's a, it's a cloud services brokerage and I, it's, it's kind of interesting because I met him on a, on a whim. It was through someone else who was, who was writing a book and I was doing some, uh, artwork for it. But like, you know, that led to, you know, the, the, you know, the artwork for the book to the photography for, you know, his new author photo and anything else he needed, you know, wow. two websites, a website for the book, his new corporate website for his company. Uh, and then the new books, it's a series of books. Um, so it's like that, but that same formula is a pretty much apparent in kind of any, you know, any relationship. Um, and if you have a very wide skill set, and you're actually good at all the things that you do, if you take the time to learn them and be the best that you can in them, um, typically you become a one-stop sh- marketing shop for ah. any of these, any of these people. Um, so you get, you, you get a gig with photography and it leads to, you know, five or six different things. And I see that happening pretty much all the time. Um, so I think it's, it's good to, un- and it's like, it's good to understand every aspect of it because that's of that. really neat. So you're also artistic too. So you do design too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that's, uh, it's interesting. Um, Cause I, when I was younger, I always, I always wanted to like, I always like drawing and things like that. Um, I'm actually more technical than I am um, artistic, which I, I think is interesting because if I had to have chose, it would have been the opposite way. Hmm. Um, like I have a, you know, I have a knack for like web design and things like that. It just comes to me. Like I love looking at code and things like that, um, which I never would have thought would have been me. I thought I'd be you know, the guy with paintbrushes and, you know, making landscapes <laughs> and stuff, but I guess not. I don't know. It just, it's what I end up liking. Huh. That's so interesting. Yeah. I, 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 drawing was my favorite thing as a little kid. My number one hobby was to just draw, draw, draw. And a large thing, which we'll probably get into in a bit is I love drawing video game characters and right. creating my own video games. And, and it's funny. We're born around, I can tell we're born like around the same time. So we had a lot of the same early influences as far as gaming goes, which is really cool. Um, we're getting, we'll get into that into a bit, but I want to ask you sort of a controversial question. Mm-hmm. How is it, or how, are you going to know if this freelance stuff you're doing in YouTube is going to be a sustainable thing that is going to keep you paying rent and all that? Uh, it's actually, <laughs> I'll be honest. It's, uh, for me, you know, in some regards, it's not about the money. Um, but also I think I have a, a, a pretty big client base more than I ever expected. I would, I um, mean, you know, I, it's really interesting. Cause like going into this whole freelance thing, I was like, this is going to be a gamble. This is going to last six months. And in the six months, I need to do these X amount of videos. And, uh, and then, um, I, I'm also writing a book. So I was like, I want to have this be this far, you know, be this far in the book. Um, and you know, <laughs> six months turns to a year and then, then it's like a year and a half. And honestly, it makes me think 
and this is just might be my specific case is like, you know, why, why did that ever work for a company before? It makes no sense. Um, because I, it, there was so many, so many different opportunities. Um, just having your day free, like, um, the flexibility to, you know, collaborate with multiple people at once, whether even it's not even freelance stuff. Like I, I work with a lot of other projects like software development things like that. Um, which I don't really, you would never tell through my, my, my silly YouTube videos, right. but, um, there's like a, you know, there's a whole system in place in terms of, you know, where I spend my time and, and where I invest my, you know, my resources and things like that. Um, because like, I'm, I want to do so many different things. Like I, I want to do YouTube. I want to write a book. Um, I want to be involved with these upcoming software applications. Like I'm, I, I help out with this, this really cool green screen application that I think is going to, you know, change a lot of things. Um, really? basically, yeah, just like it keys out your background. Um, like it's kind of like if you ever, ever watched Twitch, you know, people can, oh, key yeah. out I themselves. know you're talking about green screen is incredible, but it's, uh, it's like to the next level where you can pretty much do it with, uh, almost any background. It's, it's, what? it's pretty intense. Yeah. It's like, it's rewritten basically from ground zero. They rewrote the green screen algorithm and how it works. Um, so it detects mass. Um, and kind of like latches onto it. It's awesome, uh, and there's going to be, I think, a lot of cool applications coming out with that, especially the uh, the e card space. Um, because if you think about e cards, they haven't moved, or nothing has happened with them in the next in the past like ten years. It's always been like you, know, you send someone a jib jab card or like a happy birthday card. Uh, but the one of the software applications I work with like allows you to put yourself in the card. And you don't need like a studio or a fancy camera or anything. Um, so it's actually, and it's all done in the cloud too. So it's like, you don't have to even wow. have the computer, you don't even have, to have the computer resources to do it. It's just like, you know, you, you, it basically, you know, streams it, it does all the crunching on a server and then it just, you know, streams it back. But, uh, that's wild. Yeah. It's like, this is, <laughs> that's the thing is like, I, even though like, I feel like I'm a focused person, like I can't stay focused on one thing because there's so many cool things going on. And like you look online, there's so many. You know, people are doing so many different things. Like you see all these cool Kickstarter inventions. Like I just saw like the other day, like someone had the the new like a new weight bench where like it prevents you from like killing yourself by dropping the weight on yourself. Because like if you what? have yeah, like if you're benching, um, and this is obviously a complete tangent, but like <laughs> but I just get fired up about this stuff. Yeah, it's like so if you you know if you're benching or whatever, um, and like you can't finish your rep. No, typically oh, right. you, you have to drop your rack or you have to put it, try to get on hooks or something. Well, if no one's there to squat you, you know, or not squat, spot uh, you, spot you uh, you're probably going to hurt yourself. You're probably, those weights probably going to crush your neck or like something, but yeah, it's this cool weight bench where you can actually like as a foot pedal and like the seat decompresses and drops you down so that the bars fall into like this holder. It's just like, and that's just one thing. There's like, there's so many different cool things that like, that also prevents me from going back to like a, a corporate environment because huh. I, I think now that I've got a, a taste of what it's like, um, you know, being outside of it again, I wouldn't, it would just squash my excitement. There's too many, it's too much politics and, you know, corporate ladder stuff where like you need to like get this person's decision and then they have a decision above yours and like all these different things. It's like, it's so frustrating and like, hmm even stressful to some degree, but, uh, mm. no, I, th- I think I, uh, it kind of circling back to what you're saying. I, I do feel this is going to be sustainable because it's, I mean, it's been amazing so far and that's Good. not anything I ever expected. Um, right. And it just keeps getting better and better because like, you know, that network just keeps growing and growing. Well, congratulations. That's really exciting. I Thank didn't realize, you. cause I mean, you wouldn't necessarily guess that. I mean, cause if you just go, if I, I just know that you went, 
to YouTube and freelance stuff. And, you know, I think about that and I do think about lots of people that try that mm-hmm. and they just, it just crashes, crashes and burns for one reason or another. So to hear that it's working out for you is really, really exciting. Uh, and I guess if you are, if you are sort of a, um, what, 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 what's the phrase? Like you're, you're a one-stop shop for lots of things that people need that right. that's, that that's sustainable. Yeah, um, it helps. It helps. Like it's like, you know, you could either be a fisherman with a small net um, and catch one specific type of thing, or you could have a really, really big net and catch all these different types of things. Not that that's not good. I don't know if it's a good analogy. That kind of makes me feel bad. <laughs> like in terms of like, I think about it and like how like, like, like catching dolphins and stuff like that. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a bad analogy. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but just, all the yeah. animal rights activists are going to get on you oh, about I know, this. I know. You'll see me in the news tomorrow. But... <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, so, and then how, so you have a, I don't know whether to call it a new channel or not. It seems like a revamped channel, Swanky Box, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the subject matter is about video games. And then I saw you in another interview and you talked about nostalgia and like gaming. Mm-hmm. And so what had you settle on that subject matter for your videos? Because there's, like you said, there's so much out there. There's so many channels. There's a lot of gaming specific channels. And so what encouraged you to and what subject matter did you decide on and why? I decided on nostalgic video game stuff um, pertinent to my childhood is because it comes naturally. Like, it's like, you know, people always say, you write what you know. So if, like, I'm not going to go out and write, like, a crime investigation novel because I know <laughs> nothing about how that works. Like, it's like, oh, I watched Gotham and I watched all these different shows. Like, <laughs> that doesn't matter. Like, why would I try to go out and try to be something that I'm not when I can just, you know, speak from the heart. Like, I can talk all day about, you know, Zelda for Nintendo 64, Super Mario 64. Like, that stuff was my jam. Um, It still is. And, like, I remember just spending so much time in all these different games. When I was younger, I didn't have any, you know, it was just me and my brothers. You know, we we moved out into the boonies (laughs) at an early age, and, like, the nearest house was, like, a mile away. Um, And, you know, they, they... didn't have kids so it's like we had we just had each other so like you know games became our our way of of getting out into the world and exploring things that we couldn't actually go and do ourselves um so i have you know i have very fond memories of all that stuff and that when i was thinking about because i originally my channel i wanted to do like comedy skits and things like that i was heavily inspired by devin supertramp um he does a lot of action oriented things and, and and skills and kind of cool like jumping videos and things like that um, like you might have seen like the, the giant rope swing through the canyon or like the uh, the people jumping out of hot air with balloons, like very like Red Bullish kind of uh, stuff. But like it all required more people and it required stuff I couldn't do when I was at a job to begin with. So like that crushed that dream. But like, you know, my biggest thing has always been you know, the issue I've always had is I'm always, you know, gung ho about it. But like if I ha- if no one else is like it comes down to me. So like why? Why not just, you know, re- retract all that back to just me? Like, why don't I just make everything? Why don't I just do something that I can own completely, that I can speak, you know, my mind in terms of like the stuff that I actually know that I'm not trying to fool people into things that I don't know. Um, and really just, you know, talk about what I love, like talk about this stuff and why it was important to me as a kid and how it shaped me. You know, video games actually helped shape who I am today. Um, and I think they do that for a lot of people. And I think that's why people like my videos so much. And like, I'm, I am a small channel. Um, you know, I'm just about, I think like 600 subscribers, but I've only 
I only started producing videos in January. Um, so like one of the other things I also do is I'm a YouTube consultant for a couple of different businesses. Um, and if anyone, you know, in the chat who's watching this, um, knows about YouTube is like, you know, in terms of, you know, growing subscribers and, and, and raising, um, it's very similar to like, you know, the, the, the jump from one to 5,000 is like the hike from like a million to 2 million. It's like, all, it's all exponential. You know, you have more people sharing, which means you're going to get more views. And then eventually those are going to convert into subscribers. You know, when you have a small user base, it's even, you know, that effect is smaller. So it takes longer to get to anywhere substantial. Um, so for me, 600 subscribers is like, I'm ecstatic. Like it's awesome. And knowing that like some of the videos I produce, like, you know, 30,000 people have watched them. Like that blows my mind. Like, you know, it doesn't, you know, you see videos that have millions and millions of views. That's awesome. But like, I think we often forget that those are all people. Like, have you ever been in a room with 30,000 people? Yeah. It's, it's insane. Like, it's like, you know, the biggest room I've been in, it's probably has like, you know, 5,000 for some speeches I've been to and things like that. And it's just like, it's like a sea of people, you know, times that by six, that many, that many people thought my video on Mario and Link was worth watching. Was worth thir- yeah. was worth watching. Um, and it's just, it's super crazy. And then I did that. I did a, a, a Reddit post. Um, you know, my friend had this really, is a kind of a creepy van on the outside, but it's a really awesome van where he has, um, it's like one of those Astro vans or something where he has like a Nintendo 64 on the inside. And, uh, you know, I just like, he was it's like, we should do a video on this. I'm like, I would love to. And I'm very thankful that he, he gave me the opportunity to film his van before you know, anyone else. But, um, you know, made a, a series of images and um, imager and then uh, posted a link to the video at the end. And, you know, like that alone got 1.3 million views on the images. And, you know, asking people or uh, asking people to go do a video after that, you don't get as many people to do that. But I still got about 30,000 um, views out of that. Yeah. Uh, which is awesome. And, like, that's, like, I'm still waiting to see what blogs pick it up. Because, like, that's also another thing is, like, blogs, like, they're looking for free content because mm-hmm. they know they can get, they can make money off of your videos. And it's, like, a win-win-win for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how, you know, that's how I discovered your, your video where you said um, Mario and Link, where they switched games. Yeah. I found it on Zelda Informer, which you probably were delighted when you found your video uh, featured on Zelda Informer, right? Yeah. and it, But that's also, like, the other thing is, like, a lot of people that make YouTube videos and I actually had a chat with this i'm in a, a group of youtubers and we actually had a, a talk on saturday about this um it's kind of like making your own luck um you know you can make videos put them out there and let people uh you know find them you could do that or you can send it to the writers who who write these blogs and help them because they're people and they're you know they that's their job is to write help them you know make their job easier for them like hey i just made this cool video i've been following you on zelda informer you know, please check this out. I think you'll really enjoy it. And like, cause I'm sure like they spend two or three hours of their day just looking for stuff to write on. Um, so they can wake up in the morning and have an awesome video that's sent exclusively to them. They already have their first post for the day. So like, yeah. not only are you like, you know, getting your stuff out there, but you're making, you're saving someone a ton of work. There you go. Um, so that's why I empower people to do that too, because you know, all everyone on the internet's a person. So if you treat them like other people, typically, um, it'll, it'll be good for you. Um, mm. just like, uh, you know, treat everyone like they deserve to be treated. And also like, just 
just be kind and be courteous and, and, and show that you care. Like, obviously, like I love reading all their articles. Um, I check their stuff out all the time. So it's like, Hey, I want to reach out to this person. They're pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I think they're gonna like the stuff that I make. That's great. Um, yeah. So that kind of goes into the next question is, uh, one of the first things people talk about where they're YouTubers is like, Oh, how do you respond to the negativity and like the people that say bad things? So what are, what's some advice you can share about that? Um, there's going to be a lot of haters. Um, it's fine. The thing is, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. If they don't like my stuff, that's perfectly fine. I want to talk to them about it. Like, hey, what don't you like about it? If they want to insult me, well, you know, that's not them. That's not me. Like, it doesn't affect me. I think it's, I actually think it's funny. Like, when people post negative stuff in my videos, I leave it up there. I don't delete it because the people that like my video, um, if they want to get salty with them, they'll defend me. Like, I don't have mm-hmm. to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to say things. I mean, just I, I'm curious of why they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 really funny some of the arguments that people get in a, um, it, but it's also the, it's funny to see the things that people get hung up on. Like I had someone call me out for you know mispronouncing a word, and I had someone call me out for a specific word I used in a script. Mind you, that's like one of a thousand five hundred words in this in this video dialogue. Um, and it's just like it's like wow, you know, everyone latches onto something different. Um, you know, positive or good. Um, but I say just, you know, if, if they want to hate on something, they're allowed to, but I don't, you know, that could be them as a person that could be, they, maybe they have stuff going on in their life. Um, but there's always going to be haters and they're always going to have their own reasons for doing it. So like, I, I can't get swept up in the negativity. It's not worth the time. Yeah. And I feel like you do. It's funny. Cause when I, I used to think, oh man, like, Negative comments are the worst, but now it's like when I get a negative comment on anything I make, it's more like I want to understand like your mentality and like I want to mm-hmm. know why you didn't like it. So oftentimes, if somebody says um, this video is the biggest waste of time ever or something, I'll respond and be like, "Oh, like, well, what were you looking for in the video?" Then they usually don't respond because they're yeah, not the yeah. kind of people that wanted to give you constructive criticism. But then every once in a while, there'll be sort of a sour grape that'll turn sweet. When they when they right. see that you've actually responded to them, you'll you'll say like you'll say like this is completely wrong or or like okay I'll give you an example. So I uploaded a video recently, a few weeks ago, called the first five things to do after you upgrade to Windows 10, and it has now has 250 thousand views, mm. and I've never had a video have that many views before. And so, but just think about the tech community and how antsy they get and how into groups they get and half the comments are step six downgrade to windows seven yeah yeah and and then some people are like this is the best video ever i've subscribed and so just a complete range of different kinds of comments and consistently i will respond to ones that say like uh windows 10 was the worst issue of my life and i'll respond like oh well what's the matter they'll be like oh well this doesn't work i'll be like oh well i have to do is fix this like oh well thank you you know yeah yeah so even sometimes even some negative people are just negative for whatever reason and they can be turned into a positive mm-hmm. person if you just reach out to them because people want to be heard i think is oh what yeah it comes yeah down to. i mean like that's like if they're if they're super just like if you can tell they're just gonna troll you then it's like okay you ignore them i do i try to respond to every single comment i get um and i think at some point that's not going to be feasible because i think right. as you continue to grow and that's why i think these people become and they can say more edgy things or they get more upset or things like that because you think of all the bigger channels, they don't ever get responses. They're never, they're never heard. So they, they can just throw whatever they they want out there. And then, like, when they do get a response, they're like, oh, my gosh. And, like, sometimes they don't even know what to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it can even make their day. It could, you know, turn turn that frown upside down. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I, it's, I, 
I think it's awesome just to respond to everything, even if someone wants to just call your names. Yeah, no, and I've noticed that in particular about your channel. Like, you do faithfully respond. And I was thinking the same thing, like, well, he's doing that now. I'm sure he's going to want to continue to do it when it becomes impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, that I'm, I think that's going to happen. I think you're going to have a really big channel. Because you, you have the right style. Because I think this generation, as far as gamers go, they're just suckers for nostalgia. Like, the, um, the what's it called? The, um, I can't believe I'm blanking. Ukulele funding proves oh, that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. $3 million in, what, a few months or whatever it was? And then the, then the Castlevania game that came out after it blew that one away. Oh, that it did? That one got, like, like, $6 million or something. Yeah. It did. And that's for a, you know, a, a side-scroller. That, like, that's, I mean, but you think about that, like, Ukulele is, like, nostalgic. But, like, Castlevania is, like, nostalgic. like Old school. Like, squared. It's, like, really. So you have, like, it, it touches, like, you know, a huge, like, a much bigger timeline than Ukulele did. Yeah, um, yeah, I was super surprised. But they did their Kickstarter campaign really like the first of a. I analyzed their Kickstarter campaign really, um, a lot because I love crowdfunding as well. Um, the way they did it, and whoever came up with their strategy is genius because hmm. a lot of the tiers were unlocked not by monetary amounts; they were unlocked by submissions of fan art and sharing and subscribing on Facebook or you know YouTube, Facebook following on Twitter, all these different things that forced the community to, get, to come together and worked collectively. So, like, if they got 40 fan art submissions of the main character, they would throw another character in the game. And, like, that got people like, oh, I actually, even if I can't pledge money, I can have a huge impact on how this game turns out. And I think that's why they did so well. Um, wow. And I also think that, you know, if you pay attention, I'm sure anywhere you go online, you find about Five Nights at Freddy's, the, the game series. Um, same thing with that. Why do people like it so well? Um, I think it has a lot to do with it doesn't give you much at all. Like in terms of this, a story, it's all left up to the user, you know, the person playing the game to figure out what's going on and, and things like that and piece it together. But the community blows up over that because like now you're it's the same thing that happened in the 90s. And I've been thinking about this, too, because I did a video about uh, uh like Nintendo 64 and how like when there was rumors in games, you couldn't just look it up online to figure out, you know, if it was true or not, you just tried it and everyone was trying. And even though we didn't know that people were trying it, we still tried to do it and try to, you know, be the first to discover some kind of, you know, secret level on a game. Even if that was in your own neighborhood or something. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the same thing goes for this. Like if you could be the first person to, to solve like the five nights at Freddy's, you know, series, or get the true ending in like the third game or something like that. You were like a legend, and but people loved that. They loved bound, you know, coming together and, and solving this mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, a lot of people. The game gets a lot of hate, but at the same time, it was really the same thing. It's uh, the guy just did what he knew. He was someone who got criticized for you know making when he when he did other games. Like people were like, you know, your characters look like they're animatronics. They look like they're robots. And it's like, and he got upset. So it's like, turn that to a strength. Make a video about animatronic animals that <laughs> that are like that every kid was thinking about when they went to Chuck E. Cheese in the '90s. About like, oh, those things are kind of cool, but like when it got closer to night, like that's kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he just did what he knew. But uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It is very interesting. Uh, and it's just again so exciting to see where everything's gonna go because 
Okay, I'm gonna be honest. I feel like okay. My, I'm gonna say this right now. My favorite era of games was 1995 to 2005. That was just like mm-hmm. my favorite era of games ever because it encompasses like early GameCube, late N64, really really late SNES, and Me- I Melee. love that era. Yeah, exactly. Melee. Melee. <laughs> yeah. Massive same, fan of yeah, Melee. Same here. Um and and so. And then recently, it's like I'm not that enthused. Like the Wii era didn't really do a lot of sequels. Like they didn't, yeah. you didn't get a lot of pick. You didn't get Pikmin. Like everyone was wanted the Pikmin. Like mm-hmm. anyway, and it's funny. This 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 show is about social media and stuff. But I another huge massive passion of mine is like gaming and like Nintendo stuff. And so I'm gonna let us talk about that a little bit more uh, on this show because this is kind of what it's dedicated for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to ask you, where do you see your your channel? Because you have a few videos up right now about. If if Link was in Mario's game and if Mario was in uh, Link's game for N sixty four, and then you have a few other ones, you have one on your friend's van that has that N sixty four image. Right, right. Where do you see your channel going in the future, and what what kind of like uh, what kind of audience do you want to cultivate out of it? I just I mean I think the goal for anyone is to make to find a bunch of me's. Like I wanna I wanna <laughs> I wanna you know get an army of people that are like me and just like so we can do cool stuff together. So we can like. I just want to nerd out with people. I want to I want to talk to them about some obscure level in a Nintendo 64 game or a Super Nintendo game and actually have them be like, oh my gosh, yes, finally, I found you. Let's talk about this. Um, I see it growing like in terms of, I want to cover all aspects of it. Like you know, right now I've been, I've been focused on the Nintendo 64 stuff because um, I, I don't know, just like I got into it and I was like, I really miss this stuff. And I just kept making videos on it. Like I want to grow that out further. Like I, you know, just, you know, games aren't the only thing I want to do. I also want to, you know, pull in other types of media, like, you know, comic books and, and stories and, um, and TV shows. Maybe not like, I'm not really a fan of like the, you know, dramas or things like that. I actually don't have t- TV. I haven't watched the TV in a super long time, but, uh, like I'm all about the storytelling and like games are such a good outlet for storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just like, I, I want to find, I want to basically, Basically, what I'm doing is trying to set off a big flare that people will see. Is like, hey, come to this point. Let's all talk about this cool stuff. And I'm gonna make some cool videos um, about these topics. And like, I also, and this is something that irritates me too. Like, I'm on with videos online. You see all these big channels producing these game content. So it's like, you know, you have the game theorists, and you have all these uh, different things that produce uh, different types of uh, videos on games. They don't credit anyone. They don't. They they put a video out there and it's like, but they don't, you know, they don't give anyone like credit for what they did. And that's the thing that irritates me because if you're an artist online and you see these YouTubers that take all your, you know, your drawings of characters and they use it as like, you know, the Ken Burns it, which is like, have you ever watched a documentary where they have a photo and it zooms in slowly? Mm-hmm. It's called, so, what's that called again? Uh, the Ken Burns effect. The Ken Burns effect. Okay. Yeah. Um, they, they don't they don't give any credit to the people that make this stuff um that, and it always irritated me because like own up to it like i you know i want to make a video about something i saw online that someone did a comic on and, and I, I saw they did a comic that was about legend of zelda and i'm like that's an amazing idea for a video and the first thing i want to do in that video is say hey i saw this comic online please check it out check out this guy's DeviantArt channel because all his work's amazing but this really got me thinking about this idea and you know he was the tip of the iceberg let's let's really dive into this and 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 a lot of things i do in my video is like i present my thoughts 
but I'm not the voice of God. Like I'm just some guy who likes games. Like it's more important to me that people continue the conversation with one another, whether that be through arguing or no, uh, actually like constructive criticism about like, you know, the topic at hand, like it's all about starting a discussion because that to me is my reward. Like I'm doing these videos for fun. Like I love, I, I love just seeing people's reactions to them and things like that. Um, so like that's, I, I again, I deviated, <laughs> yeah, but, no, that's uh, fine. but, um, that's a kind of like where I, you know, where I see my channel going, right. but also the, some of the things that frustrate me and, and the things I want to work on to kind of be, I don't want to say like, I'm going to be a trendsetter cause I don't know what I'm going to be, but, uh, I want to fix that problem because hmm. why do you want, why would you be an artist online if people are just going to steal your stuff and hmm. then put it in their videos? Um, and the same, but the same thing goes is like, you know, YouTubers, ha you know, have issues with freebooting, which freebooting is like you're, you make a video, you put it on YouTube, someone, uh, downloads their video and puts it on Facebook. Now, Facebook, Facebook's making your ad money. You know, you yeah. send a submit claim to them and they don't pull it down right away because as long as that video is up, they're still making ad money and the page that uploaded it, they get like basically a slap on the wrist saying like, Hey, you know, don't do that again. By that time, they already have millions of views because the way Facebook shares content is more, um, way more diverse than, you know, posting YouTube content on Facebook. Uh, but, um, it's just like, you know, we, we fight the same battles. We fight the same battles of like this, this whole freebooting thing. Um, but it's funny cause like some of the people that bicker about freebooting, which I'm super passionate about it. And if you don't know what freebooting is, you should definitely check it out because it's a huge issue. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, some of these people who are, you know, super mad about freebooting are like the kind of hypocrites in a sense. Like I remember, like I, I'm a big fan of a guy named Matthew Santoro. He does a lot of top 10 videos or like 50 spooky facts or something like that. Um, and actually, like for a while there, I was I was going to do some some animations for him for his channel. He was looking for an animator, and we had a couple. We sent a couple messages back and forth. But you know, recently he got pulled into like an iPhone scandal online, where like people are using him holding an iPhone to like sell his his you know merchandise that he didn't approve of, which is totally wrong, totally wrong. And I agree that those people you know using that imagery should be you know held accountable. But at the same time, like I'm I, you know I'm scratching my chin. I'm like he does this all the time. He takes images mm -hmm. from people that, you know, he takes stories and all these different things that he didn't, he didn't come up with and he's using them. So it's mm -hmm. like, uh, it's kind of funny that, you know, these people are crying wolf. Well, it is a big problem, but they are like, all the big ones are crying wolf about it. Mm. Wow. And this is the whole, the whole mess about remixing something. Like if you, if you take some audio and then you like throw some beats in it, now it's fair use all of a sudden. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I totally agree with dusty Jackman in the chat. Freebooting is literally cancer. I totally agree with that. It is, it is horrible. <laughs> literally. It's literally cancer. And now, according to the dictionary, literally can also mean figuratively. So that's it's, true. he's not using that improperly. <laughs> um, okay, that's so true. that's great. Now, I, I want to get some more technical stuff down here. Um, mm -hmm. So what audio and video equipment do you use when you make videos? Um, so for voiceovers, I use this handy daddy boy. This uh, is the uh, Blue Yeti. Or well, it's a blue microphone by Yeti. Um, really good voiceover mic. Runs about 150 bucks. They have a pro version out now. You can get two. It's a little bit more expensive. Um, I use a lot of. In the past, I always use a lot of different uh, microphones, like uh, the Zoom H4N, the Zoom H2. Those are all you know videographer tools that I did. But like when I did 
um, a lot of animating because what I would do is I would record voiceovers of different people and then I would do, you know, two minute, three minute strictly animation about that video selling a certain like software solution or like, you know, branding video for like, uh, um, I'm trying to think of what it is, credit union um, or things like that. Um, I use a lot of those. So right now, though, I use the Blue Yeti um, because I was like, I want to try something different. I want to learn a different thing. And this thing's awesome. It's really it blows me away. Now, while it's like I can take it with me and then go record right. out in the middle of the forest because it doesn't run off batteries, the, you know, the, the quality of it is is really, really good. That's what um, I'm using. That's what I've been using for this podcast, too. It's, oh, it's yeah. amazing. And it's it's awesome because it's it's at a consumer level. You're not dishing out like your firstborn, your firstborn child for like a mic. But uh, besides that, I use um, I use a MacBook, um, the Retina Mac. I actually have two Macs, so I have this one right here and i have one right here so this is like my backup editing machine um it's a 2010 um that one i actually like the old displays better because they you know the retina displays are awesome and big but they used to have the antique layer which is like perfect because i could go like edit in the middle of a desert and like the sun wouldn't be a problem um so i'm a big fan of the apple stuff a lot of people say they're overpriced um, which I, I agree, but like, I never had any problem. I don't have any problems with them. I always, I'm a big fan of PC stuff too. Um, but I do, I do get mixed responses from people, um, in terms of like the Adobe suite, like, like they run into like random problems on like PCs and things like that, which is weird. I don't understand why. Um, obviously you can build a, a PC much cheaper and get the same quality pretty much. Um, but I've always just been, I don't know. I, I think what happened was I was forced to use Macs in college because, like, on the college campus before I actually had a machine, they're like, oh, we have Macs. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I haven't used this since the early 90s. Does it, <laughs> does, does it have, like, the firefighting game on the Apple II? But uh, um, <laughs> so I, I use uh, – segue into that, I use the Adobe Suite. Like, I used to use okay. Final Cut and uh, Apple Motion. I would never go back. I mean, really? honestly, it's – I mean, they they totally shot themselves in the foot with Final Cut. That's uh, what I X. heard. Totally, mm-hmm. it's like completely different, and it's a train wreck. Um, Adobe is just so awesome. You can drag and drop anything from any application into another. You can, you know, you do something in Photoshop, you drag it into After Effects, it retains all your layer sizes. Cool! You an- wow. You animate that layer, you drag that into um, Premiere. You know, you you add that to your video. You drag that into you know what used to be Encore. And you render it out. You have a trade show loop. You put on a repeating DVD. Like it's all these different. Like it's just it's so streamlined and so user friendly. Um, mm-hmm. And the fact that everything integrates with each other. Um, honestly, like there's no point in trying anything else. And I know that sounds mm-hmm. kind of I don't know an ultimatum, but like honestly, it's it's uh, they got they really thought it out. Especially with the, you know people are like I want to you know I do the the Adobe Cloud. Um. And people have issues with that too because they're like, I want to own the software versus I want instead of renting it, um, which is fine. Um, but you know, I've I've had nothing but positives with the you know the Adobe Cloud, um, especially you know, the subscription platform for someone that does you know video, web design, animation, like I, animation, photography, like all these things that I do. Um, there's there's really no other choice out there. Um, and I mean, in a good way, not like, I feel like I'm suckered into getting Adobe <laughs> like this. It's, 
you'd be kind of silly to try anything else because hmm. it just works so well and it's so intuitive. Hmm. Yeah, I have to say I, I use Photoshop a lot, but a big barrier for me has been the learning curve. It just seems like massively hard to learn. Um, like as far as um, uh, a, a, no, a, not addition. Audition. Uh, audition, and then um, come on, the video editing one. Premiere. Premiere. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but so I use something called Cyberlink Power Director. I have no idea if you've heard of it or not, <laughs> but it's super obscure. But it's also really cheap and really user friendly. So that's what I use. And I, I don't ever plan on being a big video maker guy, mm-hmm. but I have I have referred people to Adobe because yeah, I I used to use a uh, iMovie when I had I did a video production class when I was like in high school or something. Mm-hmm. It was it was like all right, I guess. But anyway, we could talk for a long time about that. But I want to get to these few questions before we get to the end of our show which will, mm-hmm. we have like 15 minutes left um okay. so i want to ask you what are your top five favorite games of all time which is a hard question that is a hard and question if five years from now you look back on this recording you're like why did i pick those five <laughs> well that's, that's why that's, it's okay. the, that's the most difficult question because it has a is a an answer that evolves over time like mm-hmm. um i would say um probably super mario 64 Ocarina of Time from those both Nintendo 64 games. Throwing a curveball here, RuneScape was a early MMO uh, back in 2003. It had like N64 graphics too, so it was right up my alley. Yeah. Um, I, I I've probably sunk so much time into that game, but for good, I, I just I loved the humor of it and things like that. Um, let's see what else. Um, definitely Melee. I mean, Melee was. Uh, we, <laughs> I can't even describe how much time we put into melee. Um, having two brothers—that's all we did was fight each other over and over and over again. That's um, amazing. Let's see, I got one more. Um, that's that's tough. I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe Fantasy Star Online. It was a it was another kind of a online um, game that came out um, in the GameCube era, and also the Dreamcast. Um, it's just all of them. Like they were a lot of these have to do, are tied with first experiences for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people say that's cheating as well because like I have like, these feelings tied to them specifically because they were my first instance of that type of game. But I mean, this that's is okay. It's, yeah, yeah. I I don't see anything wrong with it. Your I favorite's mean, your favorite, no matter right, what reason. Exactly. Um, that's awesome. I want to go over my favorite five because they're actually very remarkably similar to yours. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Super Smash Bros. Melee is probably my favorite game. Um, it's really hard to say. It goes between that and like Zelda Ocarina of Time. And I often, Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time often fight for the seat, in my yeah. opinion. So tough to choose. Uh, those two stand out big time. Melee, Ocarina of Time. And then surprisingly, Sonic Generations. I love I, Sonic I was going to say, I mean, I was thinking, because, you know, I was thinking Fanstar, but like Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. <laughs> for the GameCube, and also mm-hmm. Sonic Adventure Two for I think it was Dreamcast. Yeah, I was never into Sonic at all, but like that really, I was addicted to that game. It was so fun. <laughs> I don't know what about it because I it's don't not, either. It's not a remarkably good game, but right. everyone loved it that played it. It's mm-hmm. just so interesting. Anyway, Sonic Generations because I love the 3D Sonic games way more than most people. Like it gets right. so much hate, but it also has the 2D aspect too. It has so. Both, best of both worlds. The only con about Sonic Generations is how short it is. I wish it was yeah. longer, and I wish there were more levels. Uh, anyway, so those three games, and then for the last two, 
Um, I have to say, Harvest Moon sixty four is probably another one of my All favorites. Right. <laughs> I I don't know, like I think a Harvest Moon Animal Crossings was also another thing. Like like Harvest Moon and Animal Crossings, they go hand in hand with me because like I felt like as I played them, I was just trying to figure out life. I was like, <laughs> I'm here, I'm like a farmer in the middle of I don't know where. I'm I rake you know, I I cut down stuff with a sickle, I feed my cows and like what am I doing? And it's like, but it's like also humbling too. It's like, okay, well, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. Like, I can just chill, and then I'm gonna go to bed and come up in the morning and do the same thing. I don't know. Like, I, I did play. I think the actually it was a Nintendo 64 version of that. And uh, nice, it was it was fun. I think I I got burned out of it though because like I didn't know what I was working towards, which is uh, that just might have been you know me in general. Mm-hmm. My, well, it was funny because I was learning stuff like. Uh, you know, oh man, what girl am I gonna court? Like, who should I be friends with? Like the whole little social part, because all the different, like, all the different dialogue in that game. And then another funny thing was some of the things didn't get translated very well. So there was a bunch of glitches too oh, that, yeah. that was fun to look for. Um, but it's just a really, I just love that game. I don't know what it was. And then another one that's gonna be kind of random is Star Wars Battlefront Two. I just love the crap out of Star Wars Battlefront Two, which wasn't like any of my other games that I like, but for some reason. Battlefront 2 was just I, a favorite. I was a big fan of uh, Jedi Outcast. For, oh, I haven't played that one. Uh, if Kyle Katarn, the random guy they made up for the for the game, <laughs> uh, the battle mode was just so much fun. That and they, you know the the the, ser- the sequel to it, uh, Jedi Academy, hmm. was another. Because like this is something fun about like you because you can be a, you know someone just runs around with guns, or you can be a Jedi. But even with someone as guns, you can still stand a chance against a Jedi because you can still have the force. Uh, and like you can like you like choke lift someone up and then shoot them with a shotgun or something. That's <laughs> <It's> like, cool. <laughs> it was uh it was cool. But at the same time, like you know, you're fighting a Jedi like running towards you and they're like just pushing your bullets aside with like because you can have you can trick out your your force abilities and one was like pushing wow. so like just like blows everything back at whoever's attacking you. It's it's really cool. Man, I have to check that. Was it was it called again? Uh, Jedi Outcast. Jedi um, Outcast. Okay. And that was. Uh, I, I have to ask you, uh, what what's your some of your favorite video game music? Because I'm very opinionated about this. Oh, too. okay, hold on. I I have to go back. I'm gonna I'm gonna take off Fantasy Star off my top five list. And okay, I have, to, I have okay. to put Super Mario RPG for Super Nintendo. Oh, that was definitely because okay. that gaming the gaming music made me think of that instantly. Oh. Um, I I like more of the uh, for gaming music. Again, all the all the simple stuff like. Uh, I think I think back in the day they had less to tell stories with, but they used more powerful mediums to tell their stories. Like you know now mm. people are like, the graphics they suck, so the story sucks. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean you get some some weird responses from people about you know, and like to some degree I don't know like I I don't feel as attached to games um, that come out like this day and age. I don't know if it's just I I don't I don't I kind of want to be, but I just can't. Um, but I do. De- I definitely latch on to the game music of the past, and I don't know if I enjoy it. Again, is it because I? It's a fond childhood memory of mine. Like like listening to these songs, I know the exact moment when I heard this song the first time, what I was doing, or I mean, like melee, like Final Destination, or not Final Destination? Is it Final? Yeah, it's Final Destination. The alternate menu two track. Oh man! I mean, like that song to me makes me think of like just pummeling like yoshi because my young my younger brother was a, a yoshi main and i would use like gandor for or uh luigi and just like 
we're refighting. Um, <laughs> a lot of it, I mean, but a lot of the earlier stuff, like Super Mario RPG, has a lot of interesting tracks to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like the. Uh, have you ever played the game? Yes. Okay, so do you remember you fight uh, Bunt, the the huge cake at the wedding? Mm-hmm. Like I remember that scene well, just because the music was so interesting. Like the, mm-hmm. the marry more, like Princess Peach was being forced to marry someone. Yeah, it's like it's like this is kind of weird. I'm like I'm like an edgy. Six year, yeah, I'm like for, six for years a kid's old, game. Mm-hmm. like trying to figure out. Like I was like, wow, what's really going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, but like I just remember like how well the song in the area encompassed okay. like a wedding. And I was like, mm-hmm. to me, wedding music, that's what that sounds like. Uh, um, I have to say really quickly and interject, I think that's what it is about N64 era games is because physically they were just, they had more space to fill with more songs and they had 3D. So there's a rawness about that era of games mm-hmm. that will never be replicated. Things now are too polished. That yeah, yeah. Everything makes too much sense. It's too perfect because, like you, like what you said, it had to do with a bunch of other things, including the mystique of there not being the internet. But there was unfinished stuff in N64 games. There was yeah. just new territory that had never been, um, you know, tried before. And so I think that's why we're never going to experience that again. Is because it was mm-hmm. just, and, and of course we have like virtual worlds and holograms. That's that's definitely the next thing, but. There's something about the accessibility of gaming with a controller and a screen yeah. where it went from 2D to 3D and then that rawness I don't think can ever be replicated again. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it was so good. And now it's like there's a reason for everything in the game. It's kind of boring from that standpoint. There was an excitement about yeah. the N64 era. And my, that's just my opinion. Yeah. I have to say, uh, yeah, um, again, Dusty Jackman, Metal Gear, like nothing gets me hyped, but like some of those Metal Gear thing, uh, themes, just thinking about how, you know, crawling around as, as a snake and like doing just he would snakes an awesome character too like <laughs> like such so awesome like every time i think of him i always think of it's like kept you waiting huh he like <laughs> smoking a cigarette or something uh-huh i always love the humor so in those cool. games those are it was very tastefully done but the music the music was definitely epic and something that i need i, I need to play more of them because i i barely touched them but i think some of my favorite music donkey kong 64 for some reason oh yeah fun guy forest some of the yeah oh well, my gosh like almost every track in that game for me it was so good and then of course i love like like banjo kazooie music i love smash bros melee soundtrack smash bros brawl and smash 4 have a larger soundtrack with really mm. impressive tracks but melees like they had a theme for final destination they had a main theme they had oh, a yeah. main menu theme and they were like all classics all of them mm-hmm. and they were all super good and and then the kirby games kirby 64 kirby air ride had amazing cool soundtracks yeah 64 and then, rockstar has a really interesting i love that stage there's also mm-hmm. the uh the volcano has a really good music mm-hmm. but like the four like the frozen else? one i love the frozen one yeah uh, so I, I, we're really like close on time now, no, so I'm going to shoot through the last part. Uh, now it's time for Ask David V. I ask questions and you answer them. The question of the episode is going to be, what is your favorite beverage? Because you're here, Brad, what's your favorite beverage? Uh, the blood of my enemies. Wow. <laughs> I'm a that gamer. Was... I'm a gamer. I had to say something like that. Uh, all right. That's fair. I'll go with that. Um, my favorite beverage would have to be, um, it's really hard. Okay. This is going to sound terrible, but I love <laughs> grape milkshakes. Grape? As milkshakes? artificial and as awful no, for you more as it power, sounds. More power to you, man. <laughs> I had a grape milkshake at the sushi place, and I lo- already love like artificial grape and shakes, so the two together, oh, yeah. favorite drink bar none. The social network of the day is Backloggery, and I don't know if you've heard of it, Brad, 
but if you haven't, you should make an account it's on so, Backlogger. It sounds like a, it sounds like an is it like an archive.org kind of thing or uh, sort of yeah. So basically, you like track every game you've owned, and you track whether you've beaten it or not, and then how far into it. You can like customize your profile. It's super addicting and awesome. So I totally recommend that if you're a gamer mm-hmm. and you have a and they include games like if you if you've lost it or you sold it. You can still track it, and, and so it's, it's really cool. And so I recommend it. It's only available on the web, backloggery.com. There's no application, like no mobile app for it, but check it out. Now let's take a trip to the app graveyard. These are the applications and services that are no longer with us. And today's dearly departed application is Olife. Olife was a daily journal web-based app that would email you every once in a while, however often you wanted. And, and you'd reply, and you'd just journal your day. And it was a really cool service because when you'd reply, it would like save it in this, like this beautiful journal form. And then it got shut down because, I mean, it wasn't sustainable. They didn't do advertising. And right. anyway, it was a shame that it went away. But It sounds like a really good idea because like I think most people during their day, they get so swept up that they forget the little things. And like that is a reminder of like in your face, like, oh, hey, take a moment and just say something into the phone. I mean, back mm-hmm. then, I don't know when that came out. Did they have text-to-speech? I don't know. Anyways, uh, barely. But yeah. yeah, it was it was really good. It was exactly like that. So lastly, it's time for immature impersonations. Maybe they're good, maybe they're bad, but they're certainly immature. And today's impersonation is going to be Conquer the Squirrel from Conquer's Bad Fur Day. I haven't tried this at all, but I thought it'd be really fun to try. So here goes nothing, okay? <clears throat> oh, boy. Oh, no. This isn't, this isn't right at all. Hang on a second. I think this is the part where I introduce myself. <laughs> Hello world, I'm Conquer the Squirrel. Just your ordinary anthropomorphic protagonist. Ugh, don't know if I'm cut out for this podcasting stuff. Ugh, not today, anyway. I always get, you know, when I think of the voices, I always get them confused. Because I think of that, that, that squirrel from Banjo-Kazooie, the Nabnuts. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, I was like, wait a second. That's, okay, hold on. I know you got a second left, but that is an interesting video idea. Because I think about this too, it's like, you have all these backstories of, of these characters that are in Diddy Kong Racing, right? Mm-hmm. You have Banjo, you know, Banjo's in it. He has his own game. You have Conker. You have who else? I think there's one other one. Bubba. Huh? There's Bubba, that weird one that I didn't ever know what he was. Yeah, but I mean, like, what's the backstory of all those other animals? I want to uh, know, like, how do they all know Diddy? Oh. Uh. So maybe, maybe it's up to you to create their games. I might have to dive into that one. I've been thinking oh, about man. that, but like the Conker thing reminded me of it. I'm Conker. That's what he sounds like. In yeah, I know, I know, I know. And then it's like, and then he hit puberty. <laughs> <laughs> Something happened and, to him. And he started drinking. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, that's just about all the time we have for this episode of the Beyond Tweeting Podcast. Thank you, listeners, for listening. <laughs> obviously, because that's what you're doing, watching, sharing, downloading, and subscribing. For all things Beyond Tweeting, you can go to beyondtweeting.com and simply search Beyond Tweeting in your favorite podcasting application to find this app or find my podcast and subscribe. And if a show's going on live, which it is this second, you can go to beyondtweeting.com slash live and see wherever it's at. And as always, we end each episode with an anticlimactic line. Brad, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Anticlimactic? I don't know. Um... Beyond belief. Beyond all human understanding. And now, beyond our time limit. And so, join David V. Kimball again next time for the Beyond Tweeting Podcast.